page 260, Ruth chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from the Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, second thoughts, <laughs> the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that this name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem through the, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be, be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman or redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. And Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women lived there, living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. This is the word of God. Ashish. Thank you, Mark, for the reading of the word. Uh, I'm so thrilled uh, to hear the stories of grace this morning in our powerful God at work, in our lives. Uh, and uh, I'm particularly happy when uh, Jill shares something and her laughter just light up this room and uh, uh, just, a, just a wonderful blessing. Uh, <laughs> 
So, as a quick uh, recap, uh, the story of Ruth began with, this, with a series of setbacks. Uh, in chapter 1, we found uh, Naomi and her husband and uh, two sons left their homeland in Judah uh, and uh, uh, on account of famine. Uh, and uh, then we've uh, come across uh, Naomi's husband dies. Uh, subsequently, her uh, son marries uh, Moabite women uh, who are... Who uh, came, became barren, and uh, tragically, her sons die, leaving these two widows uh, in the house of Naomi. Even though uh, one of the daughter-in-law Ruth uh, cleaves uh, to Naomi as uh, Naomi makes her way back home, chapter uh, chapter one ends with uh, uh, Naomi bitterly complaining, "I went away full, and the Lord has brought back brought me back empty." The Almighty has dealt with me very bitterly, uh, she, she laments, and the future certainly looked grim and uncertain and hopeless. Uh, these two ladies were widowed, and the childless women in the ancient Israelite culture uh, were considered a curse uh, of not having an heir, uh, for their name would be uh, erased after their death. So their family essentially dies with them. The name of the family essentially dies with them. So they were in a desperate situation. They, first of all, needed food. Secondly, they needed family. And in chapter 2, uh, we found uh, Naomi filled with a new hope because there is a provision for food, and uh, Boaz appears on the scene as a possible husband of Ruth. But he doesn't propose to Ruth he doesn't make any moves. At least uh, that's what uh, it looks like at first. So the chapter ends with the hope, but also with the suspense and uncertainty about what all is going to come out in the following chapter, uh, chapter 3. As we found last week, Naomi and Ruth make a risky move in the middle of the night. Uh, Ruth basically proposes uh, to Boaz to be her husband. But then there was this one last piece of surprise. There is this another man who, according to the Hebrew custom, has the right to marry Ruth before Boaz did. And Boaz could not or would not proceed without giving this man his rightful opportunity. And that's where we uh, saw the end of uh, chapter 3. So now we are on chapter 4. And it opens with the Boaz meeting with this uh, guardian redeemer or a kinsman redeemer. I'm sure Boaz knows his name, but Boaz doesn't call him by name. He calls him friend. And kinsman, in the, he's the nearest adult male relative, the nearest kin to Elimelech and his sons in order to be the kinsman for Naomi and Ruth. And this kinsman has the right, if he was able to, to purchase the property, acquire all the property that belonged to Elimelech, Malon, or Kilion. And by doing, he would be able to redeem, to buy back, to purchase, to inherit, basically, the, all the property that belonged to them. Now, there is a law that God has established among his people to provide in a hard or tragic circumstances that people might face as a provision for redemption 
through relatives. Uh, so if you can turn with me to Leviticus chapter 25, from verse 25 to 27. If one of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. If, however, there is no one to redeem it for them, but later on they prosper and acquire sufficient means to redeem it themselves, they are to determine the value for the years since they have sold it and refund the balance to one to whom they sold they can then go back to their own property. So understand this property meant everything in that day. So there was a provision for the, for the land to stay within the family. And so if land was lost because of something tragic or famine or uh, maybe because of death, there was a provision set up where a kinsman, a close family relative could come and redeem the land and could keep the family, uh, the, the land in the family. So Boaz meet with this nearest kin to Elimelech at the gate. He also took 10 elders with him as we look at the, the beginning part of this chapter. These elders are going to be the witness of this transaction and the agreement that is about to take place. This setting uh, reminds me of uh, how crucial decisions and uh, trials in the villages takes, that takes place that I have witnessed many times. They call it panchayat, a gathering of the village heads and the elders who make a decision on matters pertaining to that particular community whether they should allow us to start a general education program or to empower women or the ramification of building a community restroom. So goes the conversation. So the settings are very similar. And Boaz began to speak to this nearest skin. Verse 3, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you, you would buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am, in the, in the next, I am next in line. That's an offer that this man cannot refuse. Our boy has put it in a smart way. He convinced the kinsman that Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech, still had some property that is now up for sale. And as the nearest kin, this man has the right to buy the land. All he has to do in return, basically, his willingness to bring in Naomi into his life, who is old, who is a widow, who would not cost much to take care of. But in the long run, there is a huge investment with great returns in the making. So the guy says, I will redeem it. And Boaz comes up with the surprise add-on, <laughs> or what we will call a one little small detail. <laughs> On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with this property. Suddenly, this deal doesn't look as attractive as before. 
He might have intended to purchase the land as an investment to pass on to his children. But it's not just old Naomi now, Ruth, who's younger. And he need to marry her, added responsibility of caring for her and the children born out of relationship. And she is a foreigner and an outsider, a Moabite and an enemy of God's people. No way. <laughs> Verse 6 uh, onwards, at this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I, am, I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it to yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of a legalizing transaction in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. It is a picture of the nearest skin yielding the right of the property, yielding the right to purchase, to redeem the piece of land, that property that belonged to Naomi and her family to Boaz. <clears throat> what follows is a fascinating statement from Boaz. And this is the very last word that you would hear from Boaz. Verse 9 and 10, and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, today you are the witness that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Melon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malone's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with this property so that his name will not disappear from or from his hometown. Today you are all witness. And verse 11, and all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witness, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Look at how this, the people and the elders responded. They responded with a prayer of blessing, both looking back into the history, remembering Rachel and Leah, whom God granted fertility, and through them born 12 tribes of Israel. Then they mention this Canaanite woman grafted into the family of Israel, Tamar, who had incest with Judah, who would become the father of Perez, who is the great-grandfather of Boaz. And they prayed, may you prosper in Ephrathah and in Bethlehem, yes, we know from chapter 1 that Elimelech and Naomi were from Ephrathah, Bethlehem. But this prayer turned out to be a prophetical prayer. As we find in the last chapter of this, uh, in, the last, in this last chapter and continued on to the Gospel of Matthew, where the storyline points us toward Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem. But let's just stay on the storyline for just a, just a little bit more. We have been seeing an amazing buildup of a story lying through the chapters of this book. Started out with the famine, death of dear ones coming home empty, no food, no family, to finding a provision for food, 
meeting Boaz. Naomi's plan to get Ruth and Boaz to take the relationship forward so that they can have a family. Then the sudden surprise revealed that there is this other closer kinsman, and he enters into the scene. He is willing to redeem the property, but not, uh, not to redeem Ruth. And when Boaz promises to redeem Ruth, both, uh, both property and Ruth, the story is reaching its grand climax. And before we move on, look at the status change for Ruth. You know, her title keeps changing. When we first meet her in chapter 1, she's Ruth, the Moabite. And when we see her in chapter 2, she's Ruth, the foreigner. Close enough. And in chapter 3, we find Ruth, the servant. She calls herself servant. And in chapter 4, Ruth, the Moabite, the wife of Boaz. Verse 3. Sorry, verse 13. So, Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And even more exciting part is how the narrator shared the next two very important detail in one verse. After all the gradual and the exciting buildup of this great story, from the clutches of hopelessness and emptiness, the wedding and the baby in one verse. As surprising the motive, this verse focuses on the most important character of the storyline, the Lord. See, the Lord has been in the background of the story all the time. Interestingly, if you notice chapter 1 verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food to them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. The Lord came for the aid of his people by providing food. What Naomi needed at that point was food and family. Famine and death had taken away both from her life. The food was provided for in chapter 2, and in chapter 3, we, see, we have seen Naomi doing all that she can so that she can, have, she can belong to a family. And when in chapter 4, when narrator condensed Ruth's marriage to Boaz and the subsequent birth of a baby in a single verse, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz are no longer the centerpiece of the story. But it is the Lord, the Yahweh, the great I am. Because ultimately, it was the Lord who provided both food and the family. The book starts and ends with Naomi. We find our storyline begins in distress, through famine, sudden deaths, and lost in the emptiness, and ends with the redemption Restoration, new beginning, and ultimately points us toward Christ in the redemptive history. Holding Obed in her hand, I can picture Naomi without thinking about the sovereign God, our Lord who turns our mourning into joy, bitterness into happiness, emptiness into fullness. If this was a movie, 
you'll be getting up at this point as the, as the screen fades away with a beaming Naomi holding the grandson in her arms, probably content and wiping away a couple of joy tears. And suddenly, the screen lit back again. No, the story is not over. The sovereign God is still at work. Friend, that's why this book is not about Naomi or Ruth or Boaz or Obed or any other character that is mentioned here. This is more than a love story between Ruth and Boaz. This story, however, shows how God, in the midst of the darkest hour in a nation's history, was providing the way for the greatest king. Verse 16, then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David, Ruth, the Moabite, the foreigner, the servant, grafted into the family of Boaz, is King David's great-grandmother. This book that began in the days when judges ruled ends with the introduction of the most famous king in Israel's history. And we realize the whole story has been about something much, much greater than what we could ever imagine. Ruth ends with the genealogy of David. And the continuation of this genealogy is found in Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. Genealogy that is pointing us toward Christ. Friends, the storyline of Ruth and Boaz is not just a little love story to entertain us. Boaz and Ruth are there to point us to Christ on the pages of redemptive history. To point us to the day when God in his all glory by his grace, took on flesh and became like us. He was born among us, like us in every way, yet without sin. Like us, near to us, with us, our kinsmen. And as a result, he has the right, having becoming like us, to redeem us. You think about it, here in Matthew chapter 1, apart from Mary... There are four other women mentioned, and none of them deserve to be in the genealogy of our Savior. In verse 3, Judah, the father of Perez, and Sarah, whose mother was Tamar, verse 3 says, Tamar, the woman who committed incest with her own father-in-law, appears in the line of Jesus. Then as you look at verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Rahab the prostitute, and Ruth, the Gentile Moabite woman. And then you get to verse 6. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother has been Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, who had committed adultery with King David. Yet we find these four unlikely women in the genealogy that lead us to the Son of God. Friends, there are no surprises in God's sovereign plan. These women are there for the same exact reason that you and I are finding ourselves 
right here in this room today. Not because of what we have earned it. Not because of what we have done anything to deserve it. We are here only because of the grace of God who came to save us. The worst of sinners. And he take, came to take away our sins. He pursued us. He protected us. He provided for us. And he has changed our status. We are no longer slaves or strangers. We are sons and daughters of the living God. Just like Ruth, we too needed a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer is the one who has the right to redeem. The ability to redeem and have the resolve to redeem. He must be a near kinsman. He must have the ability to pay for the redemption and the willingness to redeem. Nearest kinsman in chapter 4 had the right to redeem and he had the ability to redeem, but he lacked the resolve to redeem. And Boaz, on the other hand, he rightly fit in. God is revealing to us his character through Boaz so that we too can understand how Christ and you and I can fit into that picture. The word redeem means to buy, to purchase, or to set free by paying a price. From the time sin, sin entered into the world, God has been in the business of redeeming his people from sin by paying a price. And it is the whole story of the Bible. And Ephesians 2, as Mark mentioned earlier, unpacks God's redeeming grace. Verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of the great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, uh, going on to verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And finally, verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Just like Ruth, the Moabite grafted into the family of Boaz, we who were dead in our own transgressions, separated from Christ, who were foreigners to the covenant of the promise, was redeemed, 
was grafted into the family of God, redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Because of Yahweh, the Lord, the sovereign God, in his great love, who is rich in mercy. Friend, that's why you are here today. Not, not because of your merits, not because of your wealth, not because of your nationality, not because of your, uh, your race, not because of your upbringing, but by the great love of God, the grace and the mercy that was poured down to you. Only when you realize the wonder of it all, you will realize how blessed you are to be grafted into the family of God. You and I, you and I are blessed beyond measure. This book speaks to us during hard times. When you go through a very tough phase of life, wondering how things are going to be resolved, it may look like there is little or no hope on the horizon. But know this, in every setback that you face, God is orchestrating something good for his people. Look at the life of Joseph, David, Daniel, Naomi, Ruth. So take courage. Even in the midst of your suffering and your pain, God is orchestrating something good in the background. John Piper put this way, the life of a godly is not a straight line to glory, but they do get there. The life of a godly is not an interstate through Nebraska, but a state road through the Blue Ridge Mountain of Tennessee. I have not been on these both, both <laughs> roads, so I have no idea. There are rock slides and cliffs and the darkness and bears and slippery curves and hairpin turns that make you go backwards in order to go forwards. But all along this dangerous, twisted road that doesn't let you see very far ahead, there are frequent signs that say the best is yet to come. Regardless of the circumstances that you are faced with today, the best is yet to come. Because you are a part of God's redemptive story. By the time the last chapter is written, it always ends well. Maybe you are at a dark place because of the consequences of your sin or a sinful lifestyle that you chose. Take courage today. Ruth's story began with Elimelech's sin of leaving his land and going into a pagan land. But at the end, God used a sinful storyline to point us to a Redeemer and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's able to do the same for you today. Regardless of the circumstances that you're faced with, if you're still struggling in your sin, turn to Jesus today. He is willing to redeem you. Seek him with all your heart, for in Christ alone your hope is found. He is able to bring transformation, redemption, restoration, and show pathways to new directions. For those who call Christ follower, the story is too good to keep it to yourself. There are people in your circle of influence who are desperate, who are hopeless, in darkness, leading a sinful lifestyle, who are facing emptiness and void of purpose. Our kinsman redeemer has given us the mandate to go to those people who are lost, 
who are hurting, who are needy and vulnerable and be the light in this dark world. You and I are redeemed and no powerful story is there to tell than your own redemptive story. There's a lost world out there who are desperately needing to hear your story. And finally, the book of Ruth teaches us that God's purpose for the life of his people is somehow connected with something greater than ourselves. God wants us to know that when we follow him, our lives always mean more than what we think. The ordinary events of your life has a connection point to the amazing work of God in his redemptive history. Everything we do in, an, in obedience to God, no matter how big or small, it is significant. It all will unfold before us in eternity when we hear how our, how our lives touched other lives. It may be a simple meal you offered, a prayer you prayed, a mission trip you took, a phone call you made, or a sacrificial giving. I always think of how a group of ordinary people funded a small ministry in India back in the 50s to print gospel literature, put in the hand of some indigenous missionaries who walk into my dad's village. And it transformed his life. Subsequently, it transformed my life and others. <clears throat> you never know the stories that you will hear all through eternity. And if you look back and look around, the Lord always used ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. <clears throat> and I hope and I pray that you would allow him to write storylines for your generations to give glory to him. Shall we pray? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are forever grateful for who you are and what you mean in our lives. We are amazed by how you orchestrate amazing things in the midst of what it seemed to be hopeless through the storyline of Ruth. May the storyline speak to our hearts today. And during times when we too wonder whether there is a way out of seemingly difficult time, May we be reminded that you are at work behind the scenes, orchestrating something amazing, something that is beyond what we can imagine. So Lord, help us to stay true to our calling, to be the light in this dark world, reflecting your character in what we say and what we do. We are grateful to you, sovereign Lord, our God, for your great love, for your rich in mercy, reaching out to us. We were dead in our transgressions and in our sins, and you delivered us, you redeemed us. We are forever grateful and thankful for the kinsman redeemer who pursued, pursued us, protected us, provided us, so that we could be drafted into your family. Beautiful Savior, Lord of all the nations, Son of God, and Son of Man, glory and honor, praise and adoration, now and forever 
be thine. Amen.